Hi, I'm Beth, and I'm bringing you the Real Moms Real Life Podcast, your guide to self-empowerment and taking on each day as your best self. This is episode number 73. Today, I'm talking with Kathleen Schwartz about childhood anxiety. Don't forget, all of the resources on this podcast are meant for information purposes only and not to be confused for medical advice or treatment. My co-host, Andrea, had a typical real mom moment with her little one this week, so she will not be joining us today. But I am so excited to introduce our guest, Kathleen. Kathleen received her Master's of Physical Therapy in 2002 and has since worked in a variety of settings, including acute rehabilitation, hospital-based care, assisted living facilities, dementia units, home care, and outpatient orthopedics. In 2016, she underwent 200 hours of training to become a yoga teacher and was a Level 1 and 2 certified Thai massage in 2018. Kathleen is passionate about spreading body positivity and educating others about the dangers of dieting and the science behind intuitive eating and health at every size. You can read more about intuitive eating and her company, Compassionate Healing Services, by visiting chsyoga.com, and we will link to that in the show notes. Hey, Kathleen. Hi, Beth. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for coming on. I wanted to first say why one of the things that I was I, I wanted you to come on was because I saw some of your posts, uh, a little back history. Kathleen and I have known each other for about, so we maybe met each other a little over four years ago when my first was born. We both did a, a mommy and me kind of fitness class together. And so I've been sort of following you ever since, even though I moved away. And I loved this class that you were doing, and I was so sad that I couldn't make it about some childhood anxiety. So I really wanted to have you come on and talk about it. Yeah, and I'm happy to. And it's funny because I was listening to my own bio, and it's like I'm sure the listener is like, whoa, where's the pediatric experience? And, you know, on a professional level, I don't have any. In fact, I kind of made a very professional um, decision uh, decision professionally when I uh, became a PT not to work in pediatrics but um, because I enjoy working with the adults so much. So um, really, this comes um, um, from the personal. So on a personal level, you know, I was an anxious child turned adult. You know, that's what happens to people who are anxious. And they're, you know, if you're a child and something is happening and that nothing and there's no intervention, then that person just grows into an adult and in many ways feels like that same child. So um, and then I became a parent to an anxious child of my own, which really con- made me confront it um, on a whole new level. So, um, you know, as a parent, I don't want my child to suffer in the ways that I do, um, nor do I want him to turn to the types of unhealthy coping mechanisms that I did to soothe myself as I got, you know, only slightly older than he is now. He's eight. But, you know, when I look back at, you know, when I really started my first um real sign for myself was my restrictive, well, I guess, emotional eating, um, starting at the age of 11. Um, you know, he's eight years old now. So, you know, um, it was just something that once I became a parent, I knew I really had to address. Um, I know the damage that frequency and shame cause. And, you know, honestly, overall, it's a wish for me to contribute to a culture where mental health disorders are spoken about openly and without shame or judgment. 
you know, um, we're a really long way from that. I can tell you that from on the personal level, but I can also tell you, you know, just looking at as evidenced by the fact that I read recently, and I don't want to quote the statistic, but I believe it said 35% uh, suicides are up 35% just since the year 2000. Um, you know, you have to look no further than our school shooting crisis, which is outmatched in tragedy only by our epi- opioid epidemic, to know that, you know, it's really bad out there and it's getting worse. And, you know, we have to turn this ship around. And as an inherent optimist, I know that we can. And I see today that kids are just getting it in a way like never before. And that it's the adults that really have to catch up to them. Maybe even the world leaders that have to catch up to them. Um, you know, because they get it. Like, kindness really, truly does matter. Um, and it matters in the everyday interactions, not just talking about it in, uh, you know, political talking points, but just in, in everyday ways that we treat not just strangers, but the people that, you know, are closest to us. I love all of that. Um, I mean, I don't love that you grew up with anxiety, but I think it's so important to understand sort of where we've come from. And I think that one of the, one of the most, um, the, um, total brain fart moment, one of the most, like the biggest guidance of my parenthood recently is just to be the parent be the person that you want your children to become. So looking exactly. at yeah, looking at my own flaws and saying, okay, I don't want to pass these down onto my kids. So how do I overcome them or learn from them or strengthen them? And, and I actually I heard a, a pastor. I think I think it was a pastor that said once uh, just recently. I heard so beautifully. Oh, well, he put it so much more eloquently than I'm going to be able to. But. Um, it's not what we give to them, but it's what we put in them that matters. You know, it's it's what we empower them with. Are we empowering them with self-esteem and self-worth and being able to trust their gut when a lot of people around them are going to tell them not to, to fit in, you know? Um, but, you know, that, that's what matters. It's not getting them into the good college. It's, you know, it's about, it's about making them good people. Definitely. So let's kind of get to a little bit more specifics here. And again, I, I always write say it in the intro, but I just want to remind people that we are not here to diagnose or treat anxiety in your children. We are here to um, make it known that this is a possibility that children can have anxiety and they can experience it. So here are some tips and tricks and some signs and things that you may want to get further help with. Um, so the first question is what, what can cause anxiety in children? Well, I think honestly, it doesn't take much, especially for some children, some children, like my older children, child are much more sensitive than other children, like my younger child, so it's remarkable even as a parent to see, um, you know, the difference that I myself was one of those highly sensitive children and remain highly sensitive. Um, so, you know, it's important to realize, and this is something, and I do want to say right up off the bat that a lot of what I talk about, um, I learned through uh, what's called dialectical behavior therapy or DBT. Um, it's a brilliant form of therapy. Um, but created by Marsha Lenahan. So um, I'll always try to give credit to DBT when it's something um, I know that I'm quoting her. Um, but, you know, there's no such thing. Our emotions are, aren't bad or good. They just are. And they're all meant to, to teach, to, to tell us something, to alert us to something. And anxiety is no different. It's an, it's an emotion. Um, it's an emotion that 
alerts us to danger. Um, but anxiety becomes abnormal and unhealthy um, when the body can't shift off into that danger zone. We call that in medicine. Well, not really in medicine, but um, the fight or flight response, the sympathetic response of the nervous system. Um, doesn't go back to parasympathetic or rest and digest, um, that's um, when we're in that fight or flight zone, we're producing a hormone called a stress hormone called cortisol that's pulsing through our bodies and it's causing a tremendous amount of damage if it's pulsing through the body all the time. And for anxious people, that, that is the reality. Um, and anxiety is a secondary emotion that's actually rooted in fear. So if you're talking about children, really anything that your child fears can become a source of severe um, anxiety, which obviously can be mild to severe. Um, my personal anxiety disorder was rooted in trauma, um, which most people take to me to mean that I was beated, beaten, or molested, and neither are true. Um, emotional and mental traumas leave scars just as deep and lasting, um, but are very frequently laughed off and dismissed, especially um, when expressed as adults. Um, our culture, you know, and our culture conditions this. I, I, I think back to my childhood, and, I, and I'm sure I'm a lot, I'm probably older than you, Beth. I'm 40. Um, I grew up reciting, um, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, words will never hurt me. Um, you know, and that just sounds so ridiculous to my adult ears, you know, words not can't hurt, words can kill, you know, so it's like we, we're, we're conditioned almost, it's almost like a form of cultural gaslighting to say, you know, you're not experiencing this deep hurt when in reality you are, you are experiencing deep hurt and you're being told it doesn't hurt or it shouldn't hurt or it's wrong that it hurts. Um, and you start to believe it, that there is something wrong with you, that ultimately you are the problem. You just are too sensitive as if, as if that's something you could control. I think that's a, a big cultural shift because I also grew up with the um, the sticks and stones may break my bones, I, you know, and, and I think it's a lot of just we've realized what this has caused. Andrea and I have talked about in the past um, – the values that we were raised with and so one of the things that was was really big in our childhood was um success uh monetary financial success was was like this goal of our parents to make us financially successfully independent people mm -hmm. and that was like academic success and all of this and then the way that this was measured was just different than you know it wasn't a goal of be you know kindness and all of those things were sort of like expected but not in the same way reinforced but right. not reinforced yes. and that's the thing it's, it's what we reinforce in our culture that's matter like it's, it's really nice to tell kindergartners and first graders they should be nice to one another but by second grade you know you're beating the crap out of each other on the playground and that's like oh well boys will be boys well you know i don't happen to believe that boys you know that, that it's inherent to boys to to be physically violent i think that that's an that's that's honestly the only emotion boys are allowed to express is anger and you know it's the one that girls are denied girls are not allowed to express the gamut except for anger so you know it, it really is cultural it's nothing to do with what's inherent to one gender versus the other it's um you know, it's it's about it's about the person, and some people are more sensitive than other people, and it you know their genitalia is completely irrelevant. I think you and I could probably talk all day on fighting gender norms, 
but I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna steer us away from that because I don't want to because I want to jump into that, but I don't. So okay, all right. Well, so another, we'll just say, episode, hey, there is no gender that is um, exempt or you know binary or non-binary. There is no gender that is exempt from anxiety. Everyone can experience it. Everyone. Probably, I mean, I would say at some point or another, we probably all have experienced it to some extent. So, just as it's completely normal, if you're about to step onto a stage and do a presentation, of course, it's totally, you know, those are the instances in which, you know, your body's telling you, like, yeah, this is important. You don't want to mess this up. Let's get this right. You know, our reputation is is on the line here. Like, those are things you want, you want to feel in your body, you know, but you don't want to feel that when you stepped off the stage and you're thinking, oh, well, did I mess up this thing? And I did I mess up that thing? And I'm so stupid. And then, you know, and, and, it, and if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us, that's exactly the tape that's constantly going through our head. And as much as we want to think that our, that because we don't say it out loud, that it doesn't have an effect, you know, our thoughts have, their, our thoughts are actually producing our emotions. So, and when we have, when we choose only negative, critical, judgmental thoughts about ourselves, then that is what you're going to feel in the body. Just as you shift to a more compassionate, you know, non-judgmental mindset of I'm doing the best I can, you know, I'm I'm taking each day as, as it comes and, you know, I'm learning the lessons as they present themselves and good job and, you know, you start to feel better. And once you start to feel better, you start to treat others more kindly, you know, only hurt people hurt people, you know? So it's, it it really does start with your own self-talk. If you want to be, if you want to spread kindness to the world, like, are you being kind to yourself? And very few people I can tell you can, can honestly answer that question. Yes. I, I love all of those comments. I think they're wonderful. So, what what should we look out for when if we think that our child might be experiencing anxiety? What are some signs, you know, because our child, you know, depending on the age, isn't going to come up and say, hey, mom, I'm feeling anxious all the time. Like, that's just right. not going to happen. Exactly. Right. And I'll talk a little bit later about how I couldn't have said that until I was well into my 30s. So I certainly am not going to expect that from my children. So, so you know, as a general statement, I mean, if you look at you know, children really only have control over two things in their lives, what goes into their bodies and what comes out of their bodies. So if, um, you know, with my child, it turns, you know, it presented itself first when he was still in diapers as, as you know, fear surrounding um, using the bat, you know, using the potty. Um, so and for a lot of children, it'll, it'll present as refusal to eat or being extremely picky with what they eat or, you know, having te- texture issues with what they eat or things like that, although that can certainly be sensory related also. So um, I recently in preparing for a workshop I just did over the weekend with, um, with my son. I recently read that um, I have a stomach ache is the most common phrase used by anxious kids to describe what they're feeling. Um, so, and, and sure enough, one of the children who came to the workshop, his mom said that that was exactly what he says every day. So, um, so I thought that would be helpful, but, um, I'm just going to give you a general list of other symptoms that are unique to children. So I'll just read those kind of out in list form, um, mood swings, acting out and defying authority, changes in sleep, eating or bathroom habits. I touched on that a little earlier, but, uh, the sleep is new. Um, bedwetting and accidents, um, 
even if there's been a, even maybe even especially if there's a sign of regression in that area, if your child was potty trained and then a new sibling comes around and all of a sudden they're not potty trained, even though, you know, yes, people will say that's normal, but, you know, maybe they're not recognizing that the child is feeling anxious and that's the root of that. Um, Stomach and headaches, um, we touched upon thumb sucking, hair twirling, even nose picking. If that's a new behavior for your little one, um, that could be a sign. Lying, uh, bullying other children, uh, overreacting to minor, seemingly minor issues, nightmares, becoming really clingy, drastic changes in their academic performance that they were doing well and all of a sudden they can't keep up agitation and restlessness, avoiding people or situations that could even slightly stress them out, difficulty transitioning, extreme perfectionism, that was a huge sign for me, it kind of still is, and self-harm, biting, scratching, pinching, skin, pulling hair, obviously more overt signs, cutting and such. Um, Yeah, so those are just some, you know, it's 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 a good list. Um, so, no, I think, I think what I, what I take from that is that, you know, I think we underestimate just how much our behavior is rooted in fear, you know, and as I, as I, I touched on earlier, um, you know, anxiety is really a secondary emotion. Fear is a primary emotion. So, you know, when, when there's a lot of, when your child is, is, is fearful, um, it can present in a whole bunch of different ways. But um, if you're just kind of chasing, chasing each lead and not looking at the underlying fear, um, high sensitivity, you know, all of the things that we've talked about, um, you know, in a lot of ways, you're just going to plug one hole in another gasket is just going to open on the other side. You know, it's, it's about getting to the root of it, not just chasing, uh, chasing one lead, but only to go down another, another rabbit hole. And I think that the idea that it's, it's based in fear and is, is so, so key because a lot of times, you know, you're trying to get your kid to bed and you're battling with this bed and your child's like, but mom, I'm afraid of the dark. And you just want to say, but no, like the dark's like, don't be afraid of the dark, but you're not validating your fear. You're, you're making them feel guilty about this fear, which, you know, may, you know, whether or not this is causing anxiety, causing anxiety, but they are being vulnerable with you and they're trusting you to tell you what one of their fears is. And you're saying Mm -hmm. like, no, you know, or for, for, for my family, my child definitely when new baby came along not actually right away it was when new baby was just like a little thing that laid in the bassinet like that was fine but once new baby started to move and take a little bit more uh, emotional attention rather than just like needing to eat sleep and poop then it was like okay we regressed on the the bathrooming oh i i'm too scared to go into the bathroom by myself you know it's like oh well what's scary in there well you know what it doesn't really matter what's scary in there right. let's let's do this together let's be there with you and that kind of thing so yeah, I read a I read a quote once, you know, like like treat everything your child says as if it's the most important thing in the world because to them it is, or they wouldn't be saying it, you know. So you know, we are we do we have such a dismissive way with children, and it's you know it's again you know just that the same culture that was telling us sticks and stones would break our bones was telling us that children are seen and not heard, you know, as if you know children aren't actual real people. 
you know, and that their emotions aren't just as big and scary in their bodies as they are yours. You know, are you able to just turn off one of your fears because someone says it's silly? You know, I mean, it's it's just not, it's, it's not possible. And it, it's something that we tell people is possible. And then we make them feel like, well, they're weird because they can't do it. <laughs> you know, it, you yeah. know, it's it's back to that thing. It's back to what I said before. It's a form of cultural gaslighting. What's wrong with you, weirdo? You can't just tur- you can't just stop worrying about that thing that literally terrifies you. I mean, I can tell you as someone who is afraid of heights. So when I say I'm afraid of heights, like if I look at a height on a screen, it fills my body with fear. It's just completely involuntary. Um, you know, and to other people, they'll jump off that cliff and go skydiving like it's the most fun thing in the world. You know, and actually speaking of DBT earlier, um, I had a, a, a vet in my group who um, would be, you know, I, I would open heartedly share these homeworks because I, I knew how much the program was helping and how, um, you know, I just, I, I loved it so much. Going to the group became something I enjoyed. And, you know, I would share these homeworks and get this feedback. I'm not saying it wasn't, you know, hard and that I didn't cry a lot of tears sometimes, but, you know, it was always helpful. And he shared one day, you know, right before he, he shared his homework, which, you know, I had noticed he was kind of sharing minimally. He said, you know, I, it feels like, I, I, it's just crazy to me. I can jump out of a helicopter with, you know, a hundred pounds of gear on my back, no problem. But sharing these homeworks is like so scary. Like I'm just, I can't even do it. You know, and I'm thinking like, I can't even hear you talk about jumping out of a helicopter <laughs> without it making me afraid. And yet here I am multi-partedly sharing. So we have such a narrow definition of bravery you know bravery means you went to war or you're a cop or you're a firefighter or you're you know something that's you know putting yourself in harm's way like no bravery is whatever makes you scared and you decide to do it anyway that's what's brave you know that could be walking into a bathroom when you're four years old and it's dark and yeah that's scary for a four-year-old or sometimes sitting on the toilet is scary and that that you you have to validate that fear how you ever are they ever going to trust you with what's bothering them when they're bigger? You know, the bigger the kid, the bigger the problems. But you have to establish that rapport and trust when they're tiny. I love that. So, so what can we do? What are some things that we can do to help our child or support them to either manage anxiety or get them help to manage their anxiety? What are? Do you have any concrete suggestions that people can do? Yeah, I do. So... Um, well, I also I first want to talk about what not to do because I think that's really important. Perfect. Um, so you don't want to minimize, and we've already touched on that, right? You don't want to just oh, it's not that's not scary, that's not scary because it is to them. Um, you don't want to compare, you know. Oh, you think that's scary? <laughs> you know, I mean, people do it in 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 in, in ways, and, and let me say it's well intentioned. It's meant to soothe the child. That is the intention. Because honestly, did your parents do any better for you? Isn't that what you were told when you told them what you? were scared about so you know if you're if you're just doing what you were taught and you're doing the best you can you know you might be completely unconscious of it but we do often compare um you know our fears to other to our children's or you know our problems to our children's and you know it's not fair to them um you don't want to get frustrated and angry and this is probably one of the hardest parts and i'm not saying that this part's easy and i'm not saying that i do it all the time but what at least what i do is, is take a step back and i don't 
I realized that, you know, if I'm frustrated and angry that I need time and space for, you know, and that any reaction is probably, you know, much more a, a projection of, you know, my frustration than anything they're doing, you know, wrong or anything like that. So, um, you know, no matter what it is, no matter how frustrating, and with my son's bathroom issue, I mean, it lasted well over a year and it was there were times where I mean it just brought me to my knees crying with frustration but the frustration never ever helped it only and the only time it disappeared was when I realized he wasn't doing it to piss me off (laughs) he he wasn't doing it to make my life miserable and make me never leave the house he was doing it because he was terrified and until I validated that his fear was real and that he but that he was the only one who could control pushing, you know, pushing it out of his body, then, um, you know, once I took a compassionate stance, I, it, it went away in weeks and, and I had been dealing with it for over a year, you know, so I saw in my own, my own making the mistakes of getting frustrated and making it about me, about how it just prolonged it and prolonged it and prolonged it. Um, so ignoring the issue, obviously that's just, you know, that's what we've been talking about. And then lastly, breaking their trust, which, you know, if they tell you something in confidence and then they hear that you told even, you know, if for some reason they want it shared with parent A and not parent D, and that's really their wishes, um, and you don't tell them you're going to do that. I mean, there are times where my son will say, I don't want, you know, daddy to know. And I'll say, well, I'm sorry, but he's going to know that, you know, I, but that's not breaking their trust. Cause I told them, no, this is something that daddy deserves to know, but you know, but there are, are, are things that, you know, my son just, just wants me to know just as I'm sure there are things he only wants his dad to know. And if we broke that trust, you know, he wouldn't tell us anything. So, you know, you'd be surprised how one breach of trust can, can, really stick with a person, um, you know, a child well into adulthood. So, um, and then for, for more concrete steps, um, I've broken it up into action, uh, prevention, like preventing a high emotional um, states in the first place, but then and also actionable steps for when the child's actually in crisis. So um, for prevention, it's important to admit to your own stressors, to your children. You know, children pick up on what's going on in the family as, as secretive as we think we're as good as we think we are at hiding what's going on. Um, you know, our children are very intuitive and they pick up on it and they pick up on the energy of the house. So not necessarily like giving them dirty details, but, you know, just admitting if there's something going on, you know, putting it in child friendly terms, you know, in, in a way that they can understand and not be scared. Because often the story they're telling themselves in their head is way worse than the actual issue. Um, you want to establish non-judgmental communication with your child. If you, um, I kind of have a rule with my son. If I hear something from him first, um, he won't get in trouble for it. You know, there might be a consequence the next time, you know, well-established, but, you know, but if I'm hearing it from somebody else, um, you know, that that's not necessarily going to be the case. So, you know, just establishing that it's a safe space, but, you know, that, you know, honesty is, is really important and that it's going to be received um, non-judgmentally. Um, you want to spend quality time together every day. And that's, you know, that could be 10 minutes. You know, I'm a working mom. I'm very busy. Sometimes I travel for work and, you know, if it's a 10 minute phone conversation, um, but we really talk about the day and, you know, we, we, you know, we establish, you know, a good connection for that day. I'm happy with that. And I think that's a lot more valuable than the few months that I 
at, you know, when my children were really tiny and I was off of work altogether, I would be with my children all the time and none of it was quality because I felt so miserable and depleted and, you know, in, unheard and unvalidated and, you know, so it's it's about, you know, quality time. And then to that end, you want to establish a, a guilt-free self-care routine of your own because you can't, you can't pour from an empty cup and, you know, you're no good to your, your family if you, um, if you feel like shit. And, you know, and I think that we have this really, um, incorrect notion in our society that, um, self-care is what you want to do, that it's that, that once a month, you know, pedicure or, you know, dinner with your bestie or whatever it is. In reality, self-care is what we need to do. It's the stuff you're avoiding. It's going to bed on time instead of serving Facebook. It's, you know, it's um, establishing firm boundaries with, you know, people um, in your life and and saying no to things you don't want to do or things that are no longer serving you. Um, You know, doing that without guilt um, so that you can be this level of emotionally available to your child. apologize when you make parenting safe, not if you make parenting safe mistakes, but when you make parenting safe, I make them all the time. And, you know, I might not say it in the moment, um, you know, I might stick to my guns a little bit, but whenever I realize that I was wrong, I make sure to, to let my child know and, and sincerely apologize. Um, this one is straight out of DBT. This is called the please skill. And PL stands for uh, treat physical illness. So, you know, if there's any physical illness in the body, obviously you can go to the doctor, take, uh, you know, medication, um, get the body back to uh, calm. E stands for balanced eating, which refers to not too little, but not too much. Um, A is avoiding mood-altering substances for children. Hopefully, you know, that would be things more along the lines of caffeine and sugar. And then as they get a little older, you want to, you know, alcohol, things like that. Um, you know, they truly do alcohol truly is a depressant. Um, and, um, you know, your child needs to know that, um, these are, these are dangerous substances that children are, are, um, experimenting with. Um, S is for sleep. Um, for three to five year old children, you want to get uh, look at 11 to 13 hours at night. For five to 10 year old children, 10 to 11 hours, and 11 to 17 year olds, eight and a half to nine and a half hours. And you want to exercise 20 minutes a day. Um, just getting your heart rate exercise. Actually, I mean, it's the E in exercise. I like to say, especially as an intuitive eater, uh, movement, just, you know, anything, move your body, get your heart rate a little bit above normal. Don't worry about stepping into a gym or onto a treadmill or doing anything you don't like doing. Just put on your favorite song and dance. And, you know, that's one of my favorite things to do with my kids. I don't like to just do traditional, like play with my kids, but I love, you know, just putting on music and dancing with them. Um, And it's a great way to get your, to get your, heart rate up. Um, meditation is, a, is an amazing brain changing tool um, that can be done anytime, anywhere by anybody, including children. Um, there are studies that show that people who committed to not even meditation, but mindfulness activity, I think the participants committed to an hour a day and on average, because they're human beings, they did about 27 minutes. And even with just 27 minutes a day over an eight-week period, they saw a tremendous change in the brain um, in, you know, improving areas um, associated with empathy and compassion and 
um, calm and reducing areas associated with anxiety and fear. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an incredibly powerful tool. Um, taking frequent breaks off screens. When you look at the difference between the main difference between our childhood and our children's childhood is technology. And they never, ever look away from their screens. Um, you know, there's, there's the art of boredom has been lost and, you know, and it's, it's, and it's very detrimental. The brain meditation is more important than ever because there is otherwise, unless you take those forced breaks, you know, even I actually was driving home to the shore and I heard um, one of the call signs for a radio station I don't normally listen to was, um, you know, Ben FM because silence is unacceptable. And it just, I was like, oh my God, no, silence is essential. And, you know, and the fact that we think, you know, and I guess maybe what they're saying is silence is uncomfortable and like, yeah, well, if, if, if you can't even be still with yourself, like you have to examine that, you know, we, we you just can't keep taking drugs and, and, and drinks and making more plans and, and, you know, and eventually your body's going to crash and burn, you know? So, you know, get still, get off your screen, take forced breaks. Um, and then the last thing for prevention, um, there's a few books that I, I'll recommend, um, Alexander, you know, reading with your child, Alexander and the Terrible Heart, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day um, by viewers. Most of us are familiar with that. Um, Tear Soup by Schwiebert and The Client, hopefully I'm saying that right, and Dinosaurs Divorce by Brown and Brown. Um, so, you know, just reading those in, um, in times of calm and, you know, just establishing that, you know, this is, this is a safe place to be emotional on whatever that emotion might be. And then we'll move on to action steps. So once your child is in crisis, and if you want to think about this on a zero to 10 scale, or zero would be complete peace and calm, and 10 would be a panic attack. Um, For some of these, and I'll I'll note which ones, um, you know, you really want to reserve those for like seven and higher. That would be like real crisis. But um, these breathing exercises in particular, kind of like meditation can and maybe should be done um, just uh, preventatively, especially like if if you're looking to implement strategies to get your child out of crisis without taking medication, you know, you have to be familiar with these techniques already. It's not going to be go well if the first time you're trying it with them is when you, when you're, when they're in crisis. So the first exercise um, is belly breathing. So just as you breathe in, really pressing your belly out, making it as big as possible. Um, and then as you breathe out, letting your belly relax into the spine. Um, the next one uh, square breathing. So square breathing, you can put um, just one finger on a table or even on your own leg, and it's a four-second breath in. You're going to draw the, the square, the, the one side of the square as you breathe in, and then you're going to hold that breath in as you draw the second side of the square for four seconds. And then your exhale is going to be the third side of the square for four seconds. And then you're going to hold the exhale out for four seconds, which is going to feel a little harder than holding the inhale. So that's square breathing. Um, paced breathing means that um, you're whatever feels like a natural length inhale, maybe it's three seconds, maybe it's five seconds, maybe for younger lungs, even less, um, you're just going to make your exhale two seconds longer than that. So the three-second inhale, your exhale will be five seconds. Um, 
four second inhale, six seconds, and so on. And then the last one, I was actually really pleasantly surprised that um, one of the children who participated in my uh, workshop over the weekend was really well aware of this technique called four, seven, eight breathing, which he confirmed is really good for insomnia. So four, seven, eight breathing is a four second inhale, a seven second retention of that inhale, and then a slow, full eight second exhale. So just like laying in bed, doing that breathing technique, you can drift off to sleep pretty quickly. Um, uh, and I just want to put a shout out. I didn't say it early, but for meditations, I actually don't use these, but um looks like Sadie Jane meditations are really cute. Something um, that um, might be out there if you're, but then there's also lots of options you don't have to pay for either. I just don't know how child-friendly they are. Um, so um, intense exercise for 20 minutes. These are this one straight out of DBT. Um, she calls it the tip technique. That's uh, P, the paste P and paste breathing is one of those P's. Um, but tip uh, temperature, if your child is at that seven, that level seven or above, you can fill a, a, a bowl with uh, ice cold water and you'll have to hold their breath and put their face in the water for tw- up to 20 seconds and then lift up. And, you know, that, that, um, can help to uh, shift into that parasympathetic response or that rest and digest. Um, another thing that will do that is intense exercise. This is exercise that's going to definitely produce a sweat for up to for 20 solid minutes. Um, and then, um, so those are more on the, um, you know, actionable steps in the crisis. And then for um, things, you know, action steps that are a little bit more, um, for like homework management and stuff, um, you want to, there's, there's a book uh, called Essentialism that taught me you want to separate the um, essential few from the trivial many. So most of us have lots of stuff on our to-do list, but if we really look at it, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, trivial or, you know, not as important for that day. And, you know, just really looking at what's essential to get done. And then um, there's something called the Pomodoro timer that's gained some popularity, um, which I like as the method for myself. You set a 25-minute timer um, and you have a focused work session for 25 minutes and then a five-minute break. Um, and that just kind of keeps me out of that, like, oh, no, I have to work all day. Like, I know I have that break coming up. Um, and, you know, and you can obviously adjust those time frames as appropriate for your child. Um, you know, maybe 25 minutes for your child would be an eternity, you know, just knowing your child and making um, adjustments for that. Um, and I touched on earlier that, you know, for me, perfectionism is a, was a really big um, sign of my anxiety in general. I mean, I was kind of a perfectionist in all things, um, you know, whether it be academics, I graduated PT school with a 4.0 because anything less would have been, you know, the end of the world to me. Um, and I, you know, I truly busted my ass to do it and, you know, got the same damn degree that everybody else did. So, you know, jokes on me. Um, you know, and then, you know, in my, when you looked at my eating habits, I was a, you know, a lifetime member of Weight Watchers and very, you know, perfectionistic in my eating and my dieting and, um, and, you know, meanwhile, secretly, you know, binging on food and alcohol and, um, um, and then, um, you know, with, uh, with my exercise, you know, when, you know, how you and I met and, um, you know, at any time I, I was always, I always had to be breaking a sweat because if I didn't break a sweat, I couldn't eat dinner. I mean, it was a very, very disordered, um, 
way of, of being and, uh, you know, that perfectionistic tendency, you know, was absolutely masking, you know, huge, severe levels of anxiety. Um, And then establishing a growth mindset for your child. Um, There's no such thing as failure. Failure stands for first attempt at learning. You know, and it's really true. I mean, there's a a quote from Thomas um, Edison who invented the light bulb. You know, I know I'm not going to get the quote exact, but, um, you know, I never made a mistake. I just came up with a thousand ideas that didn't work. (laughs) You know, um, you know, it's, it's about not giving up. And then, um, and then lastly, becoming emotionally intelligent. Most people don't even know what that means. Brene Brown, who's brilliant and gaining a lot of um, even more popularity with her current Netflix uh, special, A Call to Courage, um, she talked about in a video I watched about how most adults only can name three emotions, happy, sad, and pissed. And, um, you know, and that's, and then, and that's, really the root of what you're seeing in our culture is we just, we don't even know what to call what we're feeling inside anymore because, you know, because no one ever taught us. And that's my goal is to teach kids, you know, the kids I come in contact with, this is what you're feeling and this is what you can do about it. And no, you don't have to turn to all the same things that all the kids, you know, that, that all the other people around you are, um, are turning to there's much healthier ways to cope with this. And you don't, you know, you don't have to settle for, it just because it's the status quo. Wow. That was so much gold right there. <laughs> I'm like scribbling. so much information. It was, oh my gosh. It was so good. I scribbled down so many notes for myself mostly. Um, I will probably write in the show notes like, hey, take notes on this episode if this is something you're interested in because – there is so much, and that's a great thing. Like what that I love about podcasts is like, oh, you can go back and rewind, and I have tags of when you know where are the action steps for the day to day, where are the action steps for crisis, so you can just go back to that little marker and 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 just get more. Yeah, and I'm all about, and I really um, I'm all about you know um free information. I mean, this is really the, a lot of this is just the, you know, is the information that I, I do in a free, you know, free seminars that I'll offer to, to schools because, you know, not, you know, not every person's going to be able to pay for their child to, you know, take a, a workshop and, and, and learn these things themselves. And, you know, you don't have to pay. You can, you know, these things, these are things that you can do. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to support those that want, you know, that that or want to pay me for that. But it's, you know, just as you go to my website and you'll see tons of free information about intuitive eating and health at every size because, you know, and I have a free Facebook group for, for intuitive eating because, you know, it's about getting, it's about helping the most amount of people that I can help. And, um, you know, and if I, and if I happen to make a living doing what, um, you know, what lights my fire, then, you know, that's amazing. But ultimately it's, it's about helping other people. And helping children, really, and just, just to not suffer in the ways that so many, so many currently are and so many adults did when they themselves were children. Well, and, and, and thinking back to the beginning where you had said, you know, you went into, you know, being a physical therapist, not plan, you know, planning to work with kids. And, I mean, 
whereas I do work with kids, but one of the reasons I love working with kids, especially in the early intervention setting, is because I love empowering their parents. And so by Mm -hmm. teaching their parents about intuitive eating and health at every size and and some of these more like self-care items, you are then being the best help to their kids. And that's sort of my viewpoint. It just hey, if we take care of these parents and if we give them the knowledge, the information, and the support, then then they can it's do it. It's not a generation. And that's the beauty of it. If we empower the parents, then this can be, you know, then these issues can disappear in a matter of a, a, a generation or two, as opposed to, you know, I mean, just because it took us 100 years, well, it's taken us a long, you know, we've been brutalizing each other for, you know, since the beginning of time, but, you know, it's 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 gotten it's taken it got getting this bad in the United States of America for people to start really saying like oh my gosh if it's getting this bad here you know um you know for people to really to take this seriously I wholeheartedly agree so we are getting a little over time here so I just want to ask one last question is there just if there was just one thing about childhood anxiety or anything that you would like our listeners to know, we primarily, our listeners are mothers, what would it be? Um, I, I would say probably that um, it's incredibly misunderstood, even if not especially by the people who have it. Um, my therapist actually said recently that most people, and I'm talking about anxiety specifically, so um, my therapist recently said that most people she sees who come in for depression are actually shocked to learn that they also have anxiety, but I completely relate to that because um, I, until I started a yoga practice regularly in 2016, I never would have labeled the feeling in my body anxiety. It was just as like the buzzing I felt in my chest, that kind of low-level dread, not really knowing what it was that I was worried about, you know, that was as normal to me as any of my limbs, you know? So like, it didn't even know it was abnormal, much less treatable. So, you know, I think maybe if you're, if you're recognizing these, these symptoms in your child, maybe starting to put, you know, turn that compassion onto yourself and and maybe for a child within that didn't get this validation and, um, you know, and, 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 you know, making sure that you're, you know, as we've talked about, you're taking care of yourself so that you can, you can um, really help your child, not just want to help your child, because every parent wants to help their child, but, you know, if you know what to do and, or have had been as fortunate as I've had to be able to, to pay for the resources that have helped me to know what to do. Um uh, yeah, and I think I just wanted to, you know, because I've alluded to it, I think um, if I could close out with something, um, you know, that I personally believe that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, intuitive eating that you know, eat or disordered eating in general, dieting, binge drinking, anxiety, all of these things are really intricately related. And I think like working on any one of them and, you know, really all rooted anxiety, you'll, you'll kind of be shocked at, at, at kind of the ripples in your life of what, what else gets, you know, better. Um, so, you know, I would just, I would encourage everyone to go think a little bit deeper than prescription medications and, um, you know, in Western medicine, not that that doesn't have its place. I'm certainly trained in it and I'm, you know, a current practitioner. Um, but, um, you know, as, as a health professional, but, um, you know, I now know as a yoga teacher and, you know, that it's not the only way and it's certainly, um, 
mindfulness, yoga, meditation, has, you know, specifically DBT, which is mindfulness-based, intuitive eating, which is mindfulness-based. Um, all of those types of practices have, have brought me a level of peace and healing that, you know, without would never be possible for me to then, you know, have, have done what I've been able to do to support my own son. So, you know, make sure you're taking care of yourself first. Um, and, um, you know, and the rest of it will will intuitively come. Parents are, you know, parents want to know what to do. Um, maybe, you know, just needing a little bit of guidance. Thank you so much. Where Tell everyone where they can find more from you. Um, you can read about more about my company. It's called Compassionate Healing Services at chsyoga.com. Um, and be sure to join my mailing list to be notified of future classes and workshops. I also send out periodic blog, blog posts about a variety of topics and emails specific to intuitive eating. I call intuitive emails. Um, I do hope to offer distance learning workshops online in the you know coming months. So those are not local to Southern New Jersey can also benefit. Um, and please follow me on Instagram at chsyoga. Perfect. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today. Follow us on social media for news updates and calls for questions. You can find me, Beth, at Feats of Real Eats, and my typical co-host, Andrea, Dr. Andrea Moore, on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode and write us a review. Show notes for this episode and all podcast-related information can be found at realmomsreallife.com.